Hi, and welcome to a podcast from Hope Springs Church Coventry. For more, please find us on Facebook at Hope Springs Church or on Twitter, we're at Hope Springs Cobb. Thank you and enjoy. Right, we'll make a start. Steve's thrown down a gauntlet of uh, 34 minutes. <laughs> so I'm trying to be less than that, by the way, not, not more. Um, so today we're going to carry on our journey to Emmanuel, the kind of working our way up to Christmas. Um, so Heavenly Father, just thank you uh, for what you've done already this morning, uh, for being with us and in us and through us, Lord. Um, I pray that just by your Holy Spirit you come and uh, vitalise us, inspire us, uh, breathe uh, your breath into us, um, that we could express you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so, so this week, yeah, I'm doing shepherds, and I kind of, I've really got into actually just reading the Bible as, as like a piece of literature, and there's all, there's all sorts of really cool things that are going on just at the start of the book of Luke, so I'm going to do a little bit of an intro contextual sort of bit, and then I'll talk about the shepherds more directly. So Luke's Gospel um, is obviously similar to Mark and Matthew, uh, but it, it, in other ways it's completely different, so... The way Luke's Gospel starts off, it has these kind of three little pericopes, these little stories, these angelic visitations. There's three of them, and, and, and it just sets up the tone for the rest of, of the Gospel of Luke and Acts, the way uh, Luke wants to portray Jesus. And so first off, it starts off with these three angelic visitations. So the first of all, um, the angel visits Zechariah in the temple. And, then, and the angel tells Zechariah, you and your wife, Elizabeth, you, you're going to have a son. And, and they have a similar problem to Abraham and Sarah, where they're, they're very old, and, 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 and uh, Elizabeth was barren. <coughs> so Zechariah is, is stunned. And then the angel visits Mary and says, hey, you're going to have a son um, by God. And, and, and Mary's uh, stunned. And then the angel visits the shepherds, and they're stunned that anybody would come and visit them. And then there's, there's a format to how the angels address everybody. So there's these, these three introductory stories, there's three angelic visitations, there's three kind of identical addresses to, to these people. Uh, and so it starts, off, it starts off with some sort of greeting, usually revolving around, don't be scared, it's going to be all right. And then, and then it goes on to some sort of declaration of what's going to happen. So to Zechariah, he says, you're going to have a son. To Mary, he says, you're going to have a son, and he's going to be kind of unique. And to the, to the shepherds, he says, good news, great joy for all people. So there's this, this, this kind of prophetic declaration of what's about to happen. And then there's a validation. There's some sort of sign or symbol that happens to each of them. So Zechariah pulls the short straw and he just gets struck dumb. This is how you know it's going to happen. You're not going to be able to talk or tell anyone about it. To Mary, the angel says... Uh, the promise, how you know that this is going to happen to you, is that your relative, Elizabeth, is going to be pregnant. So they, one leads on to the other. And then to the shepherds, the angel says, you're going to know because the baby's going to be wrapped in baby clothes, but in a manger. And this is how you know. So these, these three little introductory stories, and they, they feed into each other, but they stand alone as their own little um, introductory things. And there's these three songs uh, so I'm going to read these songs because these are really important. It's like a musical. You know, like with a, music, with a good musical, like the first sort of introductory song sort of tells you what the narrative arc is going to be. <coughs> and so the first song is, is Mary's song. 
So notice how it's out of sequence, right? So the angel visited Zechariah first, but Mary gets the first song. <clears throat> and she says this in uh, Luke 1. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm, <coughs> and he has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. Now, note this. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he's lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So the key thing about Luke and the key thing about Mary's song is that there's this uh, distributive justice. Those who have been oppressed and pushed down are lifted up. Those who have been pushed to the margins have been brought in. And, and those who have lifted themselves up above their station have not been destroyed, but they've been brought down. Okay, and this is the theme. So if you read through Luke, all of the, the, the people that are interacted with Jesus throughout Luke and Acts are all the fringe people. They're the lowly. And there's always this kind of lifting up that goes on throughout Luke. And this is really important uh, for when we talk about the shepherds. And then Zechariah sings this. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up the horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him for all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. You will go before the Lord to prepare a way for him to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those in the darkness so those on the edge um, and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the path of peace so again we get this idea those who are marginalised those who have been pushed out of the light will have a light to shine upon them um, those who, who have known death and depression, um, those who have not known peace will be guided in paths of peace. And then the third song is the heavenly host. This, this, this angelic host, this angelic choir singing, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those whom his favour rests. So peace and favour. So these are these three opening songs. So there's something about lifting up of the lowly. There's something about shining a light on those who are in darkness. And there's something about peace and favour to all. This is good news with great joy for all people. <clears throat> and so this is how Luke is set up to go. And then just, you know, just uh, so f by reference, Matthew is very different. We think it's the same. You know, we draw our Christmas story from a bit of Matthew and a bit of Luke. But they're not the same. So in Matthew, we have the, the three wise men or kings or magi, like what Steve shared last week. But Matthew is orientated towards showing that Jesus is the King Messiah. Um, so you'll realise throughout Matthew, there's all this language or references to Old Testament kingship. Uh, so he calls himself, you know, he refers to Daniel 7 about the Son of Man. And it's all about his government, his reign, his kingdom. And, and so, of course, in the birth narrative, you're going to have 
foreign envoys bringing gifts like ambassadors from a different kingdom to the king. Whereas in Luke you have the shepherds, the lowly, the marginalised, the ones that are pushed out on the edge. <coughs> Luke is focused on a gospel that's inclusive um, of everybody, of those on the fringes of society lifting up the downtrodden. Uh, even throughout Luke, notice how prominent women are. So in the birth narrative of Luke, it's all about Mary. There's no mention of Joseph. But in Matthew, it's about Joseph being a righteous man. So automatically, it doesn't say that one's more true than the other. It's just that Luke is focusing on those who are pushed aside. <coughs> and so, shepherds. Um, when I started looking into this, I thought, oh yeah, I kind of... I know a thing or two, um, but God likes to, to humble the haughty, doesn't he? Um, so, you know, we, the story goes that it's become quite fashionable to talk about the, the shepherds as these rogues, these um, thieves, these dishonest people. And we get that from uh, rabbinic writings, the Mishnah and stuff, which was about um, sort of two or three hundred years after the time of Jesus. So by that time, rabbis just really had a downer on the shepherds, which doesn't quite square up with how shepherds are portrayed Throughout the Old Testament, bearing in mind that all of the fathers of Israel were shepherds, all of their famous characters are shepherds, and God talks about himself as a shepherd. Uh, you know, so Psalm 23, the bits in Ezekiel and that. Um, so, but actually, shepherds probably weren't these dishonest um, rogues, uh, you know, by their own malevolence that they're excluded, basically. But at the time of Jesus, shepherds were just poor. These were people who had um, insufficient means to sustain their family with their own land. So they'd hire themselves out to look after other people's flocks. Um, and so what can we say about the shepherds? The shepherds are just poor people. And because of their poverty, they've become a permanent underclass in society. This is something that God railed against in Isaiah, about f the forming of a permanent underclass. This was the idea of Jubilee. But somehow the shepherds are these marginalised ones, not by um, their own wickedness, or their own dishonesty, but because that's how the system works. They didn't have enough land to sustain themselves and their families, so they have to hire themselves out and they look after other people's sheep. Um, so do you remember that uh, the BBC um, nativity, where it has the, the shepherd guy there and he can't pay his taxes and his wife's very ill and, and, and she's pregnant and, and he's trying to figure out how he can pay for the medicine and, and he can't because they keep coming to tax him and they take, you know, they take some of the sheep that he's looking after and everything. And, and that's what it is. They're, they're, it's a lower underclass. They're, they're pushed down because of the system. That's just the way the economy works. I mean, it would be amazing if this stuff was relevant today, but, you know, just talking about the Bible... <laughs> And so let's just look at the story of the shepherds then. Uh, so uh, Luke chapter 2 from verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks at night. So we have uh, a very romantic view because it turns up in a, in a kid's Christmas song. But where are they? They're outside looking in. Where are they? They're in the dark. So Luke automatically sets the scene that these guys are outside in the dark. <clears throat> and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. So again, a beautiful piece of writing, because where are they? They're in the dark. What happens? An angel shows up. <laughs> Light. They were outside in the dark, and an angel turns up and turns the lights on. Also, for um, 
Israel at this time, there's this idea that the temple is the centre of the, the universe. This is where heaven meets earth. Where are angels going to turn up? In the temple. So of course that's where Zechariah meets an angel. He's in the temple. That's where God shows up. In the fields, outside of some tiny little town called Bethlehem, the presence of the Lord is there. The people that are outside in the dark are suddenly inside in the light. <clears throat> the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I'll bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Good news, great joy, all the people. Who's included in this message? Those guys. The guys that were outside in the dark. Not only are they brought inside into the light, but the good news is for them. Not for the rich, not for the upper class, not for the priests in the temple, but for you guys. Outside, in the dark, excluded, and out inside, in the light, and included. <clears throat> Today, in the town of David, reference to a shepherd, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. You will recognise the Son of God because he will be dressed just the same as you dress your babies. He won't be wrapped in gold blankets uh, that are heated and insulated with, you know, with a bottle hooked on and various different appendages to it. He'll be dressed just the same as you dress your kids. He'll be poor just the same as you are poor. And you know what? Just to cap it off, it is a weird place to stick a baby in a feeding trough. But just so you get the message, shepherds, it's going to be somewhere that you are completely familiar with. Where do you feed your sheep? This place. Where do you go three, four times a day? This place. Where's the baby going to go? It's weird, but in this place. How are you going to know that this, this is the sign to you? He's going to be just like you. He's going to be a king, but he's going to be just like you. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those whom his favour rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, I'll pause there. These are the guys whose society, the system, the way the machine works, is, they've pushed out. They've not had a choice. All they can do is try their best with what they're given. They've never had a choice. But here, because of the Christ event, the shepherds are able to look and say to one another and make a decision, let us go to Bethlehem. And see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. The guys that never had a choice about what happened with their life, they were just making do with whatever they were given, had a choice, and they decided to go. So those oppressed by power suddenly have been empowered. And so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby that was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. And Mary treasured up these things in her and pondered them in her heart. The guys, they're excluded, outside, in the dark. 
without choices, were empowered to do something. And then they became the ambassadors of that good news. And they were the ones that could tell other folk. And those of the folk were amazed at what they said. Suddenly they have a role. They have a part to play. So not only are they brought inside, not only is the light come on for them, not only are they empowered to do things, but they have a role, they have a position, they have a function in this new way of doing things. All because of the Christ event. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So the journey the shepherds have is one from being on the underside of power, outside and in the dark. Stage by stage, step by step, they're brought inside, into the light. They're empowered. They have a choice, but they still end up going back to the same place they always were. They're still shepherds. They're still poor. Because the thing is this, is that sometimes we like to sentimentalise how these things work. As Christians, we we, um, romanticise things a bit, don't we? The shepherds were changed and all of a sudden, you know, God blessed them and they were rich and they had their own holdings and they had other shepherds that worked for them or something like that. But that's not how... We want the kingdom of God to work like that sometimes, don't we? Well, God blessed them. And they had lots of money and lots of things and lots of stuff. And then they had their own shepherds. But then an angel appeared to those shepherds and then the cycle goes on. This happens with Solomon where he gets lots of wealth but he acts just like Pharaoh and then that all gets taken away from him. And the thing is that, yeah, this, this uh, overly triumphalistic idea of modern Christianity, which is like this therapeutic Christianity, because it's always about, well, I've got to feel good all the time. You know, God wants to take away all of the burdens, all the pain, all of the circumstances, and let me just live in this little bubble where I don't interact with anybody for fear that I might be offended or upset or in pain somehow. But that's not what, that's nothing like the gospel. Instead, this allows, this text, this story allows us to understand that God is with us. You know, it's always funny, isn't it? We talk about Emmanuel, God with us, but then we think that we're with him, that we're removed out of the world, out of our situations, out of our circumstances. So it, should, it shouldn't be Emmanuel. It should be some other Hebrew word that means God, me with God. But no, God is with us in our circumstances, um, in the midst of these things, not because he takes pleasure out of us going through the grind and the slog and, and, and the pain and the difficulties and hardship of life. That's just life. But what God does is we have an overwhelming presence, a presence where we feel overwhelmed. We might feel overwhelmed by the darkness, but we have a faithful God who overwhelms that darkness. The threat of things always being this way, that's just the way it is, shepherds. It's countered by the only one who is truly unchanging. All of these things, even though we think, you know, they change at a glacial pace. But God is the only one who is truly unchanging. And he is the one that's able to transform things. Possibility and hope arise when we encounter him. Things will not always be this way. For the shepherds, things will not always mean that we are on the inner side of power. Why? Because there's good news with great joy for all people. That we are, even, even if we're still shepherds tomorrow... Our relationship to the circumstances changed because they were able to return to where they were with singing praises. 
the circumstance hasn't been transformed. It can be. Let me just say that. But they have been in the midst of the circumstance. So everything's changed for them. Their entire world has changed. Even though it doesn't look different, their entire perspective on the world has changed. So uh, we could stop there. Uh, but I want to just try and bring some analogies. How, how could this possibly fit into our worlds now? And it'd be easy to say, well, let's just think about, say, like something like uh, God's coffee shop. Situation, circumstance, the machinations of society have pushed these people to the edge, to the fringes, outside and in the dark. Um, <clears throat> and they, you know, they have to find places that serve hot food every single day because they cannot afford it, they cannot find it any other place. They're marginalised in, in their poverty with no power to affect change in their circumstances. You know, we talk about it. I was talking to Steve last week about it. You know, surely there's got to be some way we can not just keep feeding them every week, but surely we can change the way society works that they wouldn't be in this position. Mm. And you know what? Sometimes that, that, that feels a little, a bit hard, you know? Mm. How can you change a society that's been on this track for hundreds of years? It's so ingrained in the way things are. And it's for such as these that Christ came. It's good news with great joy for all people. And when you encounter these people, these people, well, what am I like? Well, how patronising am I? Um, it just means that our gospel cannot be trite. It cannot be naive or ignorant or condescending. It cannot make light of their situation and say, just believe in Jesus and everything will be alright because somehow magically you'll have a hot meal in your tummy every day or something. Because that's just an abstract gospel. I mean, we love our abstract gospel because it means that we don't have to do anything in the flesh. We don't have to be incarnated of anything. And we want that, you know, like that would be easy, that would be lovely. <laughs> but when we encounter people like the shepherds, those on the outside in the dark that are disempowered. It, it can be easy to, to offer a trite platitude. Believe in Jesus and everything will be okay. But the thing is, is that they can encounter Christ in every single hot meal and know that actually, though society has pushed them to the fringes, though they came back from being soldiers in Afghanistan with PTSD and they have a violent disposition so they cannot hang on to a, a house or, or a job, that they know there are people that still care enough to come out on a cold Monday evening and give them hot food and sit down with them and talk. Like Ella, Ella comes along and just literally speaks to everybody. And <laughs> um, know that they're cared for. And that categorically does transform them. You will know, Ella, from the stories they tell you, they, I've never been more blessed. I've come to church every week. I've been prayed for hundreds, thousands of times. Had blessings of God poured on me. But I tell you what, nearly every one of those folks, like 50, 60 of them every Monday, bless you. I'll praise God for you. Literally being blessed. Because their lives are being transformed. Not by me. <laughs> I just hand out bread rolls or something. But because people are there that care. And though they still go and sleep behind a dumpster at the back of Cosmo, They've had a hot meal in their stomach and they know that they matter, that somebody's bothered to take time to learn their name and learn their story. But that analogy would be too easy, so I won't go there. 
perhaps more immediately challenging for us in our middle-class westernized ways is what is it to be a Christian in a postmodern world? Because all of our old certitudes are evaporating. It's difficult. We, you can talk about it in terms of uh, deconstructing or rethinking how the faith actually works. Because you know that there's there's times when it's been you know like well you know well being gay is a sin, can't have women in leadership. And all of these crazy antiquated ways, and maybe, just maybe, those things kind of fit in a society 200 years ago. And yet the church is still running up against these ideas now. And, and the thing is, is things are changing around us. And how do we make sense of that? So in some senses, the church, us as Christians, us in our mildly affluent lives, how do we reconcile that with this gospel that seeks to lift up the humble reach out to the ones on the very edges of society. So perhaps we're the ones in the dark. Maybe we're the ones that are not understanding. Maybe we're on the outside looking in on a society that's transforming, on parts of Christianity that are transforming and embracing things. You know, I'm not railing against us particularly, by the way. I'm just saying that this is, this is a transition that the Christian church is trying to figure out. And we've got all these debates flying and we, we would like to talk about, you know, the right wing or, or left wing or whatever, especially in the States. I follow a lot of Americans on Facebook. Wholesale change is occurring. The old hegemonic powers are being unmasked. Racism, misogyny, xenophobia, exploitation, violence, empire building, militarised acquisition of things. They're being unmasked. Like, whether, whether you love Donald Trump or hate him, the guy is brilliant because he's standing there in the boldness and brashness of this is the way the world is. The exceptionalism. And the church has bought wholesale into this idea. The manifest destiny. We are destined to be overcomers. We do not have to live like the plebeians out there in the cold. Because we have our God and we're going to make the nations jealous. So somehow we live a glorious life while everybody else can go to hell in a handbasket. And somehow this is all changing and it's being unmasked and unveiled and we're struggling to figure out, well, how, how, does, how does my gospel fit with that anymore? How is this ever good news? You know, oftentimes we, we, we share the gospel and, and at first it's bad news. Hey, you're rubbish. You're totally depraved. You didn't have a choice about it. Even before you were born, you were depraved. That's the bad news. Now, let me tell you, you know, you need a saviour. And I just happen to have one. How does that gospel work when we're, when we're working with the shepherds? Because the angel said, it's going to be good news with great joy for all people. And, and, and the way the church works isn't always good news with great joy for all people. Sometimes it's very good news for a select few who are very joyful about it. But sometimes it sounds like crappy news to a lot of people. That just makes no sense. So perhaps we are the ones outside in the dark and we're on this journey of trying to figure out what is it to encounter the Christ and the thing is the antidote to this isn't a solution we've dealt with solutions we have these one-stop answers that make everything neat and tidy and very easy well where do you stand on the geisha well you know I'm, I'm against it or I'm for it where do you stand on guns well I think we should have more guns because more people with more guns means we'll all be safer or where, where do you stand on uh, Brexit or, or the government? And it should all be really clear-cut. Well, you know, we should vote this way because they're, you know, 
Theresa May's Jesus or Corbyn's Jesus-ish. But the problem is, is we're not looking for a solution, we're looking for a presence. Jesus didn't solve the societal issues of his day. He didn't. Israel was still occupied by the Romans. The Sadducees were still running the temple at a profit for themselves. The poor were still poor. He even says, the poor you will always have with you. But he incarnated something. And he reached out to those marginalised. He reached out to the ones in the darkness. The presence is the presence that says, do not be afraid. It is not... The thing about the phrase, do not be afraid, is we think, oh, well, you know, if, if a seven-foot angel, or however we, we have our angelology, seven-foot angel just appears, of course you're going to be, you know, like, I need new pants type time. But do not be afraid is like, you were afraid, but I'm here now. Uh, Emma was sick in the night, and... Um, she, she was really upset. So we say, don't be afraid. You were afraid, but I'm here now. You don't have to be afraid. Because I'm with you. Wherever we're at, wherever the folk on Monday are at, wherever the shepherds are at, do not be afraid. You were afraid, and you had good reason to be afraid. But I'm here now. The circumstances aren't always changed, but our relationship to them is. There's always a sign in a language that we can comprehend. You know, uh, we, <laughs> I used to go. I used to go. I went to a Morning Star. You know, Rick Joyner's church, and uh, they're kind of one of these like wildly prophetic churches. I don't know if I want to call it that anymore, but. Basically, they, they were like crazy. They were, you know, like they'd read into everything. Everything was a sign and a symbol for something. The problem is, is it took these experts in leadership positions to decipher what those things were. But the thing is, is that Jesus is a sign that everybody can read in their own language. The Magi were taught by the stars. They didn't have Pharisees going and visit them. They were brought by the stars to Jesus. The shepherds were spoken to by a baby that looks exactly like their babies in a place that they would recognise. He is with us so as to surround us with his heavenly host. And when we talk about heavenly host, we're not talking about angels in white robes that are singing in their trumpets and their halos. Host is a military word. This is the same host that appeared for Elisha. Those that are with us are more than those that are against us. So that you can know peace and favour. Does that teleport you out of your situation? Not necessarily. But you'll know human flourishing and the favour of God and his presence with you saying, do not be afraid. Jesus is with us as one of us in our situation not merely to suffer alongside as if God enjoys suffering, but to bring new possibilities, new open horizons that things can change as we are in the midst of them and what we think are unchangeable. 
Every little act of kindness becomes an invitation to imagine the world differently. Because when you think that the world is cruel and is beating you down, when one person breaks that facade with a single act of kindness, a whole new world is possible. I feel like I should break into a song then, a whole new world. But that's the truth of it. Because if everything is dark, it only takes one light to change your perception of things. The shepherds did go back to the same place, but they were different. We may return again and again to this building on a Sunday, but as we encounter the Christ, we can't help but be different. And how does this work? Surely encountering the Christ should make our surroundings change. But um, you've all seen uh, Lord of the Rings. You're familiar with the story. The hobbits went all the way to Mordor and back. They fought battles. They had friends die. They threw the ring of power into the volcano, they still went back to Hobbiton. They weren't the same, but they still went back. And if you've read the books, the Hobbits all of a sudden are a different ilk. They fight off war bands of orcs that are fleeing. Because before they'd be subjugated, they'd be oppressed, they'd be pushed down, they'd go back to the same old, same old. But they were different because of the journey they'd taken. And so they might go back to the same place, but they are different people in that same place. So for, for us, if you've ever encountered anything of Jesus, so it might have been um, typically, you know, like, could have been something like a soul survivor thing, or a missions trip, or it could just be some tragedy in your life that you've had to overcome whatever that may be it could have been just an amazing time of worship on a Sunday morning like we've had but if we've truly encountered him in those times we cannot help but be different people than we were when we walked in because suddenly we've seen something new we've seen a light turn on in the darkness of where we were previously at we've had a new possibility injected into our world where we thought there are only this number of possibilities but all of a sudden there's an empowering presence that there could possibly be more things you know, Ellie, you might have come in thinking, this pain's agony. But you know that there's a God who heals. So things are different. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to finish there. The ones on the outside, in the dark, who are disempowered, are brought inside into the light and empowered. And their relationship to their situation is changed because they are changed by that encounter. And that might be the same, that might be true for us as we try and make sense of the world in which we live. And so, just the one thing that was, while well, I was preparing this, was going through my head, was this prayer of Paul's in Colossians. So I'll finish with a benediction. So, for this reason, uh, I've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will, through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you for the kingdom of light, for He has rescued you from the dominion of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. We do require great patience because it might not always seem apparent that we've been delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. But the lights go on and we are different even though the room could be the same, even though we can still be shepherds. But things have changed. Amen.